Welcome one and all to episode 49 of the Scum and Villainy podcast, a weekly Star Wars podcast where we break down the latest and greatest in Star Wars news. I am your host, Garrett McDowell, and in my co-pilot seat, it's Noah to George. He's back. I'm back. Not that I went anywhere. No, I mean, you didn't go anywhere. You stayed right here since last week. I've been here in this seat. (laughs) In my head. Okay, here's the thing. I just last night watched The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, and that line, I did not mean to say that. Um, Which line? Kind of just now, because you were like, "He's back," and I said, "Not that I not went that anywhere. I went anywhere." Yes, I literally yes. like that just came out of me. I didn't even try to say that. Did you? Uh, what did you think? Did you enjoy the movie? It's it's pretty good. Yeah, it's fine. Um, our, our mutual friend Daniel said he was going to put in his review on mm-hmm. Letterbox. Uh, follow him at Stroud Daniel on Letterbox. Mm-hmm. Um, he was going to put in his review. This getting a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes has the same energy as Coda winning Best Picture, <laughs> uh, which is cynical and like really just petty, but also really funny and kind of true. And just um, not elaborating on that at all. <laughs> no, not <laughs> at all. Of course not. No. Why would? Why? There's That's no funny. context needed. Um. I was going to tell you something funny. Yes. Um, I was going to say, if this was a cynical podcast, uh, which Which of course it's not. um, And if I wanted to come up with a brand new cynical segment Mm -hmm. about Lego Star Wars uh, called Bug of the Week, which I don't. (laughs) uh, But if I did, then I would have something to share for you. But we're not going to do that. Um, do you want to hear about this bug that I had while I was playing the game, though? I do want to hear about this bug, and, our, and this is a non-segmented part of the show, more of just no, of a, fun yeah, exactly. just a fun personal anecdote. Yeah, exactly, because we're not cynical here. No, um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, for the last for the last week or so, the last few days that I've been playing, I've been having these, um, I've been doing a lot of side missions and I've had these bounty hunter encounters when you're flying somewhere in space and it takes yes. you to different zones and you have to... Yes. You have to fight these bounty hunters. Um, every time that I spawn in, like every time I come out of hyperspace mm-hmm. um, to fight these bounty hunters, my capital ship that I had last like um, spawned in mm-hmm. uh, also gets spawned in to wherever I land, like wherever, whatever place I jump to in space yeah. when I come out to fight these bounty hunters, my capital ship is also there, um, yeah. except it's like non-rendered and has no collision um weird so it's just like half of the model that i can fly in and out of um while i'm trying to do this thing it's super strange try to go in like you can like unselect it i did i did i I like because i changed to the i changed to the death star so i could get some kyber bricks and and do whatever yeah um and then i was like oh I, i can just dismiss it so i dismissed it yeah um and it didn't happen when I like came into these bounty hunter encounters, mm-hmm. uh, except now the death star is always, uh, traveling through hyperspace whenever I fast travel somewhere. <laughs> uh, so it's like my little a wing and then also the death star, man, man, the shadow of the, of the death star is, is troubles star Wars that, you know, as a franchise that the death star keeps coming back and uh, as a video back. game player, <laughs> uh, so what it's bigger, uh, lots to discuss today, Noah, um, lo- lots of, uh, news and details, uh, coming our way about the new, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi series, uh, as well as, uh, uh, some images and some posters and some, uh, scores for the series as well. Very excited to be talking about that as we are approaching uh, Obi-Month Kenobi, I think is what we decided on. <laughs> I love uh, it. 
We're finally uh, getting some details on how many seasons we are going to get of uh, Andor. And lastly, we are going to close out our episode with another installment of General Grievances, uh, where we are going to discuss all things Vader in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, Lots to discuss today, but if any of those topics in particular um, pique your interest, you can uh, go to the description of this episode and you can hop around at any of those uh, time codes down there and it will take you to the uh, various topics below. Low, uh, but kicking off our episode, Noah, we have some new images and details released for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series uh, via Total Film. Uh, this is an exclusive look that uh, Total Film has provided us, uh, including some new production stills, as well as two new covers. Um, this uh, complete coverage of uh, this upcoming series uh, features interviews with cast and crew, which we will be discussing towards the end of the show. Uh, and this issue comes out Thursday, April 20, uh, 28th. So, Noah, first off, we got some images, some production stills. What are your reactions? Um, I'll say this much. Um, that is a much better look at the Grand Inquisitor than we have gotten so far. Yeah. Um, my opinion remains the same. Uh, that Rupert Friend has a weird shaped head and I think that he looks pretty decent as the Grand Inquisitor. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like that is probably off the bat, like the first thing that I'm just like, hey guys, we're going to see a lot of this. So maybe get used to it. Also, just really dope to see, um, to see like an OG Stormtrooper. It's so clean. Yeah. it. Not with all the um, grit and the grime from the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it does really look like, you know, that stormtrooper could pop off his helmet and be like, My name's Luke Skywalker, I'm here to rescue you. <laughs> um But everything else, like again, this is gonna I, I'm glad that this is not just man on sand planet is yeah. you know, pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. Um so that's something that is like, yeah, we're I'm I'm you know, maybe coming around to this, I'm coming around to the idea that this is, that is going to be like a planet hopping adventure, um, that, you know, I just couldn't be happier. I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah. I think the image that, uh, primarily caused the most, not necessarily fuss, but kind of, um, was the most discussed out of the three of these images was definitely the grand Inquis- uh, grand inquisitor one. And a lot of people I saw were like, Oh, this is a much better look. Like he looks, he looks really great in this. Wait a um, minute. And, and I'm wait, wait a minute. What's up? He looks the same. I don't think so. I think he looks like a little different. I think uh, here's what I think it is. Do you ever like see those images of like, like the Simpsons when you see them like head on, you know what I'm saying? And you see like, you see, you know what I'm talking about? Phineas and Ferb, exactly. like head on. Yeah. You're exactly. like, what the hell is that? I think it was maybe a, like just the angle of something or the lighting or I'm not quite sure, but I think this image provides a little bit more definition in his head. Uh, and I, I, I totally agree that, you know, I was, we, we talked about it on this episode or on a prior episode and we were kind of, you know, is it exactly, uh, you know, a one-to-one interpretation of the, uh, animated version of it? No, but most aren't. Um, but I think that this is a much better look. Uh, I still wish he had the glowing yellow eyes. That's more of my thing. Uh, but I I think I almost uh, wonder if that's like a, you know, we haven't really seen him outside of of having that lightsaber except for in a brief little bit so yeah. you know who it, knows if it will be reminiscent of or yeah. whatever 
It tells me, um, considering every look that we have had of uh, Rupert Friend as the Inquisitor, it's mostly been like one of two scenes. I don't think that he's going to be in the show very much, uh, which is fine by me because that's less I have to hear people complain about how he looks. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. And that's also more time that we'll likely spend with Moses Ingram, uh, which I'm also very excited for. Not featured in uh, any of these images. But yes, I think he looks great. Um, hoping that we get some uh, helicopter lightsaber action. Uh, the next image that we have here is uh, Obi-Wan, presumably on Tatooine, featuring a brand new look for Kenobi. He is not wearing beige or, or uh, brown. He's wearing some blue. And he's it sporting, looks incredible. Yeah, he's sporting rare colors here uh, and with a, a, a great poncho kind of uh, kind of vibe that he's going on here. Very uh, interesting look for Kenobi. I thought it was kind of like... Uh, like a casual Friday Bail Organa a little bit. Um. <laughs> it does look very, um, it does look very like professional, like very yeah. Senate, you know, which yeah. is odd. It's not like a, it, it definitely, and it, the way that his hair is done as well, mm-hmm. um, he doesn't look like he just got out of a cave and like had to head into town. Yeah. Like he looks like he's either going somewhere or coming from somewhere, you know? You know, I kind of relate to this because I don't know about you, but like peak 2020, like lockdown period, you know, you're wearing sweatpants most of the day. Mm -hmm. But for me, when I would go out to the grocery store, that's when I would kind of like, all right, I'm going to put on jeans and I'm going to put on like a shirt, you know, and I'm going to like shower and look like a human being. So maybe that's what Kenobi's kind of energy is here. He's like, all right, I've been in my cave for way too long. I need to go into town. I need to pick up supplies. So I'm going to put on my nice, my nice poncho, my (laughs) nice, my nice belt here. Um, and yeah, I think he's looking uh, very sharp. I had asked you what you think, uh, or in his, uh, I asked you off air, but I asked like, uh, what do you think's in those little pouches that he's got on his belt there? Yeah. And, uh, to which you said death sticks to which I, I agree, you know, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's got death sticks in, in one uh, pocket and then like, a uh, maybe like a little data pad in the other where he's just, you know, listening to some tunes, maybe well, on his way into what's, town. <laughs> what's interesting is that you can't. Like, I'm wondering if maybe this is more of a Kanan Jarrus situation, but you can clearly see his belt and, you know, kind of the area around and he doesn't have his lightsaber on him. Um, Or, you know, I mean, I I would have to imagine that he's not holding it in his hands. Um, So maybe it is kind of one of those things where Kanan kind of has it, but it's it's like deconstructed yeah yeah, deconstructed and kind of on the back of his belt Mm -hmm. sort of similar to how stormtroopers wear their little canisters of whatever yeah um you know what i'm you know what i'm saying yeah it could be something like that i kind of just feel like he's just you know just throws it in a bin and he's like all right i'm I'm going out you know yeah he throws it in that chest and is like okay just put it right yeah. next to anakin's lightsaber and i'll just keep it there yeah because I, I think he's not wanting to you know, obviously keep a low profile there and uh you know, if he gets into any scrapes, he can still use his, his uh, force abilities and keep his wits about him without, you know, being, uh, you know, pulling a Qui-Gon there in Phantom Menace where he's just flashing it around and people are like, oh, whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got Anakin. He's like, what is, wow, you're a Jedi. Okay, great. You know, um, so yeah, I think he's uh, trying to keep uh, incognito there, which brings us to our next image. Uh, which is uh, kind of a Blade Runner-esque uh, look at Dayu, which is the uh, new, uh, apparently Hong Kong-inspired planet that Obi-Wan is going to be uh, visiting here. Uh, he is all cloaked up. 
uh, among the crowd um, in this neon, you know, drenched kind of city here. Uh, what's your kind of reaction to this image? We've we've seen a little bit of this in the trailer as well as some other promotional stills. But um, any new uh, insights or feelings that you have about uh, this look at this planet here? Well, again, I think that one of my favorite things is this like look that he has because it mm -hmm. reminds me of like I said, I think it was last episode that I mentioned this was the yeah. like he's he's wearing his hood in the rain on Camino and he's like I've tracked the bounty on another planet. <laughs> Just um, wet Kenobi, yeah. Yeah, it's like kind of what's going on here. Um I I love the design of Dayu. I mean, right in this image it's, you know, strikingly similar to Coruscant in the lower levels, so yeah. I'm hoping maybe we can get a, get away from that. Um but the, you know, kind of this this Tokyo-esque, Hong Kong-esque cityscape, you can still see there's like, you know, hanging lanterns and things in the streets, and that kind of gives it a different vibe. Maybe the people will be a little bit different. Um, so who knows? I mean, again, it's it's a little bit more of the same, not really giving too much else, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I, I I like this look. Like I like you had said, it's not too much that we haven't seen um, from this. Like I said, we had uh, seen some of this planet in the trailer as well as some other production stills. Um, but I'm still liking what I'm seeing of this. Something that sticks out to me is that I'm loving that this area is very populated. Um, that was kind of not something that I loved about the book of Boba Fett is like the streets didn't feel bustling. They felt mm -hmm. kind of, they felt like kind of like a set in a way, you know, to where, um, you know, Boba Fett's walking down the street and he, you know, has him and 20 feet between him to between, uh, him and the next person. I kind of like that. Obi-Wan is kind of, uh, you know, in the crowd here and there's street vendors and smoke and lights and, you know, there's uh, rain on the ground and all that kind of stuff. It feels really lived in, uh, despite the fact that this is more than likely, you know, shot in the volume. Um, yeah. I know that for this series, the, uh, you know, the volume technology is ever growing and that it, the set's getting bigger and bigger. So maybe that allows them to fit more people in there or whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, I, I think it feels more lived in and what I would expect to see and kind yeah. of a, a Coruscant-esque type planet or a Hong Kong-esque type planet. Um, one other thing I wanted to address in this is uh, some fans were quick to point out that uh, behind Kenobi's uh, his right shoulder. Uh, there is a shadowy figure in the background with uh, kind of a familiar hat on. Um, and some fans thought that this might be one Mr. Cad Bane. Uh, Noah, do you have your tinfoil hat uh, fastened or are you a little skeptical? Well, speaking of hats, that hat is not nearly big enough. That hat is not nearly <laughs> wide brimmed enough to be Cad Bane. But the way that he's holding his hand there, if you zoom in, like obviously, I, I don't know. Here's what I'm thinking. Um, mm -hmm. When you were when you were kind of talking about being lived in, yeah, absolutely. Like if you were to look at this picture, you wouldn't you would almost miss the fact that Obi Wan is in it if he wasn't front and center. You know. Yeah. Um, but even beyond that, everybody else in this image is pretty much in at least indirect light. Um, yeah. If not direct light. Um, except for that shadowy man with a Cad Bane looking hat. Um, <laughs> he's the only one that literally looks like he's been in completely just silhouetted out almost as if by an expo marker. Yeah. Um, so you know what I'm, I'm going to say if that were to be Cad Bane, I would 
I'd probably be doing, you know, backflips because yeah, why not? I mean, yeah, it makes sense. They have, they, they do have somewhat of a history. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not uncommon for the empire to use bounty hunters, especially if we're in this big bustling city where maybe some of these skeevy guys have been, you know, a little bit more, uh, maybe they're more accustomed to it. And we know that there's going to be some shootout stuff, uh, not necessarily just Obi-Wan running from inquisitors. So Mm-hmm. I think that that's very likely, and maybe the Book of Boba Fett's uh, introduction of him in live action probably bolsters that a little bit. Um, I don't know. What's what's your opinion? Um, I don't I don't see this image, and I'm like, oh, there he is, confirmation. It's Cad Bane. Um, but the idea of him being in this show is not something that like entirely disinterests me. I think it would be just kind of down to execution. Um, it's not something that I am itching to see but uh yeah they do have a bit of a history to me not in like a a way to where i think oh it it, that's obvious of course he has to be in this you know what i mean it's just kind of yeah not as obvious as it was with with the book of boba fett because i'm like no that they their past is very much so aligned um to where this here it would just kind of be like you know kind of a fun uh, a fun thing for fans. I don't know if I necessarily need that many threats coming, you know, to get Obi-Wan because you do have the Inquisitors. Totally. You, yeah, you totally. do have uh, Vader, which we'll be discussing, and then just kind of the Empire as a whole. So I don't know if I'm throwing bounty hunters in that is entirely necessary. But again, I get it. The the Empire does have a history with bounty hunters. Um, so we'll see. Um, I will say that I don't think that this image is going to be of Cad Bane. Um, there's a lot of shadowy figures here in this uh, that, you know, are in the background here. Um, I, I do understand where fans are coming from as far as the the hands and the the hat of it all. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't think I'm entirely convinced I'm here. You, man. No, I'm telling you, the hat's too small. There's yeah. no way it's Cad Bane. That well, hat we, is too yeah. small. He's, you know, he's had a lot of different hat looks throughout his show. He's got like the big wide brim one in the Clone Wars. He's got a bit of a smaller one in the Book of Boba Fett. He's also mm-hmm. got, you know, a couple of different uh, other hats uh, everywhere in between. Um, I don't, you know, if I had to say yes or no, I'm going to say no. Um, but he's also, uh, that picture looks a little bit chunky. Like Cad Bane's like, not that chunky. You, th- you think the uh, maybe it's the duster that he's got on, you know, just maybe it maybe the duster adds a few pounds, you know, could be Who I knows? did see a man today walking down the street wearing a full like, like all the way down to his ankles duster. Sick. Was it also Cad Bane? <laughs> uh, it was not. He was actually uh, a little bit suspicious looking. So he's like, I'd be careful where I stick stick in your nose if I were you. <laughs> and you were like, hey, man, take it easy. We're at a we're at a mire here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, this is just middle of nowhere, Indiana. You're not you're not intimidating anyone here. I'm just trying to get my <laughs> strawberries and get out of here. Exactly. Well, someone else, uh, Noah, who is, you know, just trying to mind their own business, but the galaxy is uh, is coming for them, is uh, Mr. Kenobi, who features on the total film um, cover image. Uh, we've got two covers here, one of which is uh, Mr. Kenobi, who seems to be on the planet Dayu, uh, very dramatically lit in this image, who is flashing his uh, lightsaber like you had talked about before. Uh, then the other image that we have here is uh, of that lightsaber and almost kind of a Return of the Jedi teaser poster kind of energy, or you've got just that that hand on the lightsaber. Um, Noah, what do you think of uh, these two uh, covers here? I think that the 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 cover of Obi Wan um, almost looks a little funny. Um, 
because it does feel like one of those things that, yeah, he probably doesn't look like that when he's on Dayu. He's probably not doing that when he's on Dayu, but it's like, it's a cool flashy little cover. The lighting is, you know, clearly, um, a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of, um, it's kind of one of those things that's like, this is cool. Deal with it. Which, you know what? Yeah, that's totally fine. Um, (laughs) even though he does look like, uh, Russell Crowe in Les Mis a little bit in that in that image. That's okay with me. I, think. I was going to say, I think between this and the Entertainment Weekly one, I think he looks a little older in this, which I think is kind of nice. Yeah, um, yeah. I like to see like a bit of a, you know, a bit of an older Kenobi. Um, I do like uh, considering his lightsaber is one of my favorite in Star Wars. I do like that he's kind of flashing it a little bit, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like the old like cowboy kind of, you know, like, hey, you know, I'm packing. Be careful here. That right. I, I do like that. He's he's almost kind of reaching for it a little bit. Kind of, you know, looks like he's he's ready for action. Um, it's not lit like the uh, Entertainment Weekly lightsaber was. Uh, I think it's a cool image. I'm just really hoping that somebody out there does some Photoshop magic where they remove some of that text. Um, there is a lot of text on there. Um, one of which is a quote from Ewan McGregor, uh, which uh, was a part of this issue here to where he's talking about kind of uh, his first time being on set with Darth Vader and the quote on the magazine says when Darth Vader was coming at me it scared the shit out of me <laughs> so I love that it's like they this, said slap that on the cover exactly That's I love gold. that it's uh it's Ewan McGregor looking you know cool and serious and ready for action as Kenobi and then Ewan McGregor's just like yeah I was really scared <laughs> um I mean but, I'd be scared too but terrifying of course yeah but the, the that issue if you want to read that there's some great um quotes there about uh deborah chow as well as ewan mcgregor like seeing uh vader here on set for the first time and kind of uh ewan's reaction with that which is interesting because yeah he's never uh, been on screen with uh with you know full suited uh vader so uh definitely very excited to see that play out um any big reaction to the uh, other cover we have here of just uh the lightsaber or is it you know just kind of yeah that's uh that that's a lightsaber well it's interesting that it's not uh ignited i think mm-hmm. that that's you know it's sort of an odd, I don't know if it's an odd choice. It just feels like a, like a, Oh, interesting choice. You know? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I mean, looks great. Love it. Yeah. Happy. Very minimalist. Uh, like I said, kind of nostalgic of this, you know, uh, it does remind me of the return of the Jedi poster a little bit. I would have preferred maybe like a hand in there or something to maybe drive that home a little bit more. But I think between the two of these, I do like the, uh, other cover there and it's yeah it's got a leg up because uh you can see uh ewan's face and you know that's always a win but um it is a win yes yeah i might be looking for these two uh or looking for uh, one of these on the the magazine shelves might have to make a trip over to uh to barnes and noble i do have the uh entertainment weekly uh copy of that that issue that came out um like a month or so ago and i'm wanting to by the 1999 maybe issue of uh old ewan on the or young ewan i guess you would say on the the cover of that for the phantom menace and i'm wanting to get those two and like you know hang them up next to each other as kind of a before and after uh, oh, you know <laughs> dream that is an absolute dream wall decor exactly before the empire and after the empire you know don't even do it once kids <laughs> <laughs> Um, Noah, we have some more details here about uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Uh, We finally have uh, a confirmation as to who the composer for this series will be. Uh, Lucasfilm has officially confirmed that Natalie Holt will be the main composer of the upcoming Kenobi Disney Plus series. 
Uh, Natalie is a uh, multi-award winning British composer known uh, primarily for her work on uh, the Marvel Studios series Loki. Uh, She's Emmy nominated and she spoke with uh, Vanity Fair where she discussed kind of the secrecy of the project uh, and also what it meant for her to work with her hero, her self-proclaimed hero, John Williams. Uh, who was revealed earlier this year to be composing the main theme of the series, which we um, also talked about here on this show. Um, so, no, I kind of wanted to get your reaction to this uh, interview here and then also just the idea that um, Natalie has now joined the the Star Wars family. If I don't, I don't know if you saw Loki, what was your reaction to her score? Are you happy to have her on board? Oh, absolutely. Um, there, I've, I've not seen Loki since uh, since it was, you know, Mm-hmm. running um except for one episode recently um when my in-laws were in town and and I was actually out um mm-hmm. at some th- like work thing that I had planned or something like that yeah um and I came back and they were like catching up on Loki and I think it was episode three that they were watching and I was like boy the music in this is like killer it's great yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think I for think... the whole show it's it's awesome for sure. I think a lot of the MCU stuff is very, I would say, hit or miss with the music. Um, I yeah. think when it when it hits, it hits like the main, obviously, the, uh, you know, I guess just the MCU theme I like. Um, and then the uh, Avengers theme is great. Uh, Spider-Man has a really nice theme. Um, and then, you know, there are some others here and there. But I think for the most part, it kind of lacks a little bit of distinction. But I do think the theme for Loki and, and the score throughout that show is a real outlier in that. I, I really love uh, this series as a whole. Um, frankly, this is like one of my favorite Marvel um, projects here. And yeah, I think totally. the score is, is really excellent. So to uh, hear that she will be coming to um, Star Wars is, is very exciting. Um, and she was able to uh, reveal uh, kind of her background with Star Wars. Um, like I said, this was a uh, Vanity Fair article and you can read um, uh, kind of the entire interview here. There's a, a lot that she goes into about, you know, how she got introduced into Star Wars, her connection with John Williams. But I wanted to talk about kind of uh, the way that she described the this score for this series and she described it in saying that I think it's very emotional uh, does have its roots in the Star Wars tradition a little bit more than the Mandalorian does uh, we had a collection of 250 horns and flutes and I used this hunting horn in the score uh, we're also blending the uh, orchestra with some more modern synth sounds as well it's definitely what we're used to uh, plus a few new elements. So Noah, um, what do you kind of think about this score for this series? Apparently being a mix of a little bit of the old, but also a little bit of the new. Well, I don't even know how to like imagine that in my head, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm not a composer. Um, I can't just be like, oh yeah, that I can picture what that sounds like, you know, yeah. or compare it to anything unless we're just saying like, yeah, th- this has um, a little bit deeper roots in what John Williams has done, has done, especially if she's saying like, mm-hmm. yeah, that guy's my hero and I'm working yeah. on a thing that's supposed to be reminiscent of what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, I know like I've, I've heard a lot of people really talk trash about Michael Giacchino's like his Rogue One score. And I'm just like, nonsense. I mean, it's, it's good. It's, is it like perfectly Star Wars? Not entirely, but it's like, it's very good. Um, and no, at there's least some, there's the some bangers there. Yeah, yeah, there's some bangers on that on that totally. soundtrack there. How how uh 
yeah, sometimes I just uh, just have to be like, huh? Like, wait, 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 what? Well, I, I don't. <laughs> I thought I, this is something that we uh, we agreed on. Like that this the uh, the Stardust theme is great. Also, the Hope uh, kind of suite there, yeah. the Jen Erso and Hope suite is excellent. Like, what are you what are you talking about? There? Well, <laughs> and, uh, the reason that like I got into some of this because I had posted that TikTok mm-hmm. um, about Morbius basically just yeah, stealing. Yeah. Um, Hans Zimmer's uh, Batman Begins theme, mm-hmm. and um, and it blew up over the course of one day, and then yeah. died. Um, but over the course of that day, like there were people arguing in the comments and stuff, and somebody brought up Rogue One, and like, it, and people just went off. And I was like reading through, and I was like, what the what is wrong with people? I don't know. Yeah, all, I, um... yeah. All that to say, like, no, she's she's great. And actually, I was looking at a little bit of her resume um and she did the music for a tv series i think i believe it's on netflix called nightfall that i've been Mm -hmm. like really wanting to get into nice um so i'm very excited for that because that's all like english crusades and the holy war and um and the knights of the templar stuff like that so like if i'm thinking of that and then like a hunting horn that makes me think of like lord of the rings boy i'm there for it I'm yeah, so she actually she she actually talked about that that hunting horn specifically, and she also talked about some of the other cultural influences of uh, the score that she's worked on here. She says that there are some Latin influences uh, in one of the planets. Uh, there's some Thai, Hong Kong sounds that are more Eastern. Uh, definitely take flavors from around the world and then try and turn them into something otherworldly. Uh, you're on Star Wars. You're scoring a planet. It has to have scale. Um, and then she also talks about the the hunting horn, which you mentioned, and she says, well, there's this hunting horn that sounds <laughs> just, and then apparently she shudders. She says, you hear it and it just does something. It stirs your guts. It's so haunting. And I was working with uh, Brian Kilgore, the percussionist who's got these incredible, unusual instruments. It's that jarring rhythmic texture that we've been playing around with. Um, so I wanted to address that, that I, something that really struck me about this interview is that um, it kind of starts off with with saying that Deborah Chow um, had apparently just before this interview had started had gifted her uh, like a gift basket or something like that where it had a card in it and it had uh, Darth Vader surrounded by stormtroopers and it said you know like we do so much work for him but do we ever get a thank you and so it was kind of like a thank you that she had um, gotten for the series but something that struck me about this interview was how much she was. The, she was so quick to talk about the influences that other people, other composers have had on her as well as yeah. other cultures and other things like that. I thought that that was just really uh, like very admirable that she was just the first one to say, yeah, this is what I was inspired by. And these are the all, all the other influences and people I got to work with. And she was really giving everybody their flowers. Um, but I also just love the idea that. You know, it's very normal for characters to have scores, especially in Star Wars. Like you have, you know, Leia's theme, Yoda's theme, Vader's the kind of the Imperial theme, the Emperor's the Emperor's theme. You know, I love that she's giving themes to planets. Like I, I like that's it's not something that we haven't seen before because we definitely do. Um, especially if you play like you know the Battlefront video game where they're loading yeah. up. You know this the you know you're going to Endor. Yeah, that has a certain uh, kind of feeling here. But I love that she's saying, okay, we're going to a planet that was kind of inspired by Hong Kong. Let's throw some Eastern influences in there. I think that that's really great, and I just can't wait to hear this score that she describes as just being like, Ugh. like yeah. I, I can't wait to hear that. I yeah. have to think it's either for 
Vader, you know, if you kind of dare introduce new music for Vader, because the Imperial March is so iconic, but, you know, introducing music for the Inquisitors, or maybe it's Moses Ingram's character and her Inquisitor, I think the second sister is, is her name. So maybe it's a theme for them. I, I just can't wait to uh, to hear all this. And on top of that, we're also getting new John Williams music for this, which is, is going to be excellent. So I, I can't wait to uh, hear what they've been uh, cooking up there. Well, yeah, imagine both of them playing in the sandbox together, yeah. um, making, you know, having John Williams make the theme mm-hmm. um, that has to relate somewhat to um, the overall score, obviously. Yeah. Um, that that gives me a lot of hope in kind of the, hey, maybe bringing back what music can do in Star Wars, because yeah. I don't know about you, but um, I was, I did not have the... Uh, Boba Fett theme stuck in my head uh, for good reasons of just a bumble, a, bu- a bunch of people chanting Boba Fett. Um, <laughs> that was the that was the last episode specifically. Not but, my jam. Uh, not my jam. But <laughs> it, yeah, I saw a lot of people when that episode came out. They were like, "Is this is been it? here the whole time?" <laughs> <Is it? laughs> yeah, like wait a minute. It was like no, it was just for the last episode. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. she t- she talks about uh, the Mandalorian and you know and uh, Luke Vig's uh, score for that, which is kind of iconic now, um, which is yeah. which is great. But yeah, music in Star Wars is so intricately tied. Even George Lucas would say that you know the kind of the the secret ingredient or the secret weapon that Star Wars has is uh, John Williams and the music. So um, I think as just kind of a blanket reaction to this, I I wish that most fans creators whoever if they're dipping their toes into star wars whether as a creator level or again as as, as a fan i love the spirit that she approached this with as far as like yeah i was inspired by these people that came before me but i also want to take it in new directions and take it in exciting directions and put my own spin on it i love that and i i uh i i think that that's a great attitude to take uh, well, is, yeah. is, is to um, appreciate what came before and, you know, like like The Last Jedi preaches, you know, to not be defined by that, but use it as a way to influence the decisions that you make in the future. I, I thought that that was a, a, a very terrific and mature uh, kind of response that she, uh, you know, kind of had to this um, this job here and this task that was laid out before her. I'm, I am thrilled to see what she uh, what she uh, cooks up here. Well, yeah, I think with that, especially there's, you know, there's a way to look at it where you can see that and say like, well, somebody bragging about how smart they are and how like, and how much stuff they know about Mm -hmm. like what they're doing, you know, sure. That can come off as pretentious. You want to know what's more pretentious than that? Um, Taking credit for everything that you have learned and making something out of it and then taking the credit for that, like, and being Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I did this. It was me. Um, no, you're a collection (laughs) of all your experiences. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Star Wars and and the creators have always like, you know, looked towards the past and, and, you know, been influenced that to some degree or another. Um, and so I'm, I'm thrilled that she's been very open about that and, uh, yeah, can't wait to see, uh, what she, uh, what she does here. And I, that, that first time we hear that Kenobi theme, oh my God, I'm just, I can't wait. I can't wait. Are we going to hear it? Are we going to hear it before episode one? Do you think? Ooh, I don't know. Um, I don't know even know if I want to. I don't um, think I want to either. We're probably, I would like to hear her score, at least some of that. But then I also know how Star Wars trailers are and they really like using like kind of legacy themes here. So, yeah. you know, using like a, the force theme or the binary sunset theme or something like that. Either, either works for me. I just can't wait to, 
to hit play and with you know when that theme kicks in i'm i uh i can't wait i just can't wait noah can't wait <laughs> um uh some other star wars series that are coming down the pipeline here noah is uh andor and the director of photography for that series um has said on a uh, brazilian television show uh, that this series was initially planned for five seasons, but is now set for three. Um, like I said, according to the uh, DOP of the series, uh, Adriano Goldman, uh, that this uh, show, at least at one point, um, did have more seasons planned, uh, but is now uh, maybe a little bit limited in their scope. Um, he said, and this is uh, translated to English, like I said, it was on a Brazilian television uh, program. Uh, he said, the series I worked on was supposed to be five seasons long, but I think it's not happening. Uh, it will have three seasons, maybe. Uh, so far, as we know, um, only the second season of Andor has been greenlit. Um, as far as as far as we know, could be more, but uh, Andor is said to resume filming this fall for its second season, uh, which should be around maybe who knows uh, the same time the first season will air. Um, hopefully Star Wars Celebration will provide some clarity for this as well as some other future projects that we can expect. Um, so, Noah, what, how does this how does this hit you? Because I think it, I, I could see it some uh, different reactions to this. Actually. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that where it's kind of, you're going to get a lot of mixed reactions, especially with something like Andor where I, I, you know, not everybody is, you know, fully, uh, I guess, I don't know. I don't want to say board. that this yeah. isn't, yeah. I don't want to say that it's not the most anticipated thing because it's not, but it's not to say that people aren't excited for it, mm-hmm. but you know, five seasons is, a lot of television, especially yeah. nowadays with mm-hmm. hour long episodes that get just as much budget as like a decent movie. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, five seasons is a lot. Um, but knowing that there's maybe some, I don't know, shuffling around of, of how things are working over there. Um, again, I'm not going to be the one to say that that is, um, concerning, but I'm sure that yeah. other people will. Um, because I don't think it's concerning. Again, five seasons, that's a lot of TV. Three yeah. seasons seems just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, because how much story do you have to tell with this character? How mm-hmm. much story do you have to tell in this world? Not saying that there's not a lot, but um, it better be you know, intriguing enough to have three full seasons because the way that TV, especially Disney Plus, is shifting right now is you know really moving towards the condensed limited series. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will be lucky to get more seasons of some of the shows that people love, mm-hmm. um, especially because those things are condensed into a format where people say, yep, this was enough start to finish, you know, yeah. six hours of this thing was good enough or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess uh, in my head, in my head, I think it's fine. Um, but planning five seasons that like that alone strikes me as like really okay all right you know yeah. i i think if if anybody was to have a negative reaction to this it'd be like oh man like andor's in trouble i would just i'd i'd, I'd be quick to pull up receipts of the same people that are calling for lucasfilm to have a bit more of a plan uh and and to say hey guys guess what they're doing they're 
they're having a plan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're saying, okay, this is a story that we want to tell. And this is where the story kind of ends up in season one. And we're preparing for season two. Maybe, you know, we were inspired and in going in this different direction or to tell this story or, you know, the, the story kind of took it in this other direction, or maybe we can just tell what we were going to tell them a little, a little bit more succinctly, which I think is great. Cause I don't know about you. I'm not going to name any series in particular, but there are some MCU shows that I was kind of like, does this need to be an entire series? Like, yeah. you know, there's some, some shows, uh, and I'll just say like, like Hawkeye, for example, I was like, does this need to be a six hour series? You know, I think that this could have been covered pretty succinctly in a movie, you know, in two hours right. or so, um, to where there are some, uh, episodes and characters that I'm like, was still just kind of like seemed a little more aimless you know i'll, I'll say that um again this isn't a marvel no podcast pun intended. so yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, this isn't a marvel podcast so we don't have to dive on into that um but i love the idea that they uh have a plan uh they have a story and a narrative that they want to tell and they think that they can do it well in three seasons um and that they're already planning for season two um i'm always going to be a big supporter of that as opposed to Hey, people like the show. Let's just keep making more episodes until people get sick of it. And then we move on. Like I would much rather leave people wanting more and to be like, here are three really well thought out, well-written uh, seasons of television. Enjoy that. And then we can move on to telling other stories. I think that that's great. Um, I think five seasons is very ambitious. I would be um, very curious to see what directions that they would go in because I don't think that I think something like the Mandalorian seems a little bit more obvious to like, well, yeah, you, this is a new character. You can go in new directions and incorporate old characters to where we know where Andor eventually ends up. So I would just be fascinated to see, wow, five seasons. Okay, great. Like how far in advance is the story? You know, like right. how, you yeah. know, uh, Diego Luna is, is getting older as we all do <laughs> and uh, you know, five seasons of the show, unless they film every single year, you know, he's going, he's going to, um, be a little bit older and I know there's makeup and stuff like that. And he's, he's in great shape. Obviously I'm not like saying he's going to kick the bucket. Not at all. I'm just saying the reality of things, you know, um, I'm just would be curious to see what direction that they would go in for Cassian and his character here. Um, but yeah, three seasons to me sounds great. I'm very excited to see, uh, what they do with this. Um, and, uh, yeah, three, this, uh, I think it's important to also note that they say three seasons, maybe, so that kind of just tells me that they're they're open, you know, and if they say, actually, I think maybe we need a nice medium or four seasons or something like that, then great. I'd be uh, curious to see uh, where they take it. And I'm excited to uh, hear more about this series and when it will be definitively coming out uh, on Star Wars Celebration, which is uh, right around the corner. I, I'm certain that we'll get uh, we'll we'll get news for probably the rest of this year. Yeah, um, I think that that seems more likely. Yeah. Um, so we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, I think, and you are also right to point out that not not that people are like actively not excited for this. It just kind of seems where people are like, oh yeah, Andor, yeah, that's coming out, you know, because yeah. you, you've got Kenobi and you've got Mandalorian, which is kind of like you know the obviously the golden child of uh, child of Star Wars as far as Disney Plus is concerned. Um, so it's like, oh yeah, Andor, yeah, that that is coming out, cool, great, you know, and so I think that can just kind of be left out in the cold a little bit. So I'm very uh, hotly anticipating getting more details on this show or seeing maybe a sizzle reel or something like that to where fans go, you know what? I maybe kind of slept on Andor a little bit. I'm really excited for this now. So I'm hoping that we get a lot more info on this uh, in the Star Wars celebration. Yeah. And, and 
obviously that information will come. Do you think we'll get like a green light of season three um, along with any other news soon? Or, you know, since we've already, I, I mean, it's, it's odd to me. The only reason I ask is because it's interesting that the director of photography was like, well, we were supposed to have this many, but we're probably going to do this many. Yeah. You know? I, mean, I, I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things to where it's like a lot of, I know in a lot of Netflix shows will do that where they'll have one season and then they'll have two. And if the show is going to get canceled, it's going to be season three. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's like, you know, seasons one to two is a distinct story and it tells, you know, everything is mostly wrapped up, but not to the degree that we can't go forward. So I wouldn't be surprised if they wait for season one to see how it kind of connects with fans before going forward on a season three. Um, I don't really know anything. That's just kind of my hunch there. <laughs> um, but you know, again, uh, I, I, I'm more interested in kind of what the creators want to tell and what their their scope is for the series and the directions that they want to take it. But, you know, you and I, we're going to be watching anything that, that comes out. So we don't have to be convinced, but um, I would not be surprised if they wait for season one to come out as far as getting others who maybe aren't as um, excited for this series to come out before they uh, do, uh, uh, before they do green light season three. Yeah. Hopefully that does happen. Hopefully we do get uh, more people saying, Hey, this is, this is pretty good. You should check yeah. it out. You know? Yeah. Yeah, especially with those involved, I'm I'm very excited to see uh, the direction that they head uh, with this. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get some more information uh, in the future. Um, some other Disney Plus series news here. I kind of uh, alluded to it earlier, but I I don't know about you, but I really wanted to dedicate a lot of time to this, uh, this uh, portion of this article as well as kind of spinning it off into um, another uh, another conversation that needs to be had here. Uh, but in the aforementioned uh, Total Film article, Deborah Chow addressed the rumors that were circulating that Maul was originally planned in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, uh, to which she said, as long as I've been involved, we've never had Darth Maul in any of it. Uh, Dave, meaning Dave Filoni, did a beautiful job of telling that story already. Um, so, Noah, when Vader was initially announced for this series, there was a little bit of friction from fans. Um, and we have discussed this idea before on this show, but now that we also have a new uh, segment on the show uh, called General Grievances, which we'll also kind of uh, recap for you guys. So if you're new, you can know kind of what that segment is and what our inten uh, intentions are for it. Um, and now that we are officially one month away from the debut of this series, I kind of wanted to circle back and answer this question once and for all. And that is, should Darth Vader be an Obi-Wan Kenobi and why? Um, so you no, want me before to give we, you, you want me to give you the short answer right now? <laughs> well, no, before we do, I wanted you to kind of, um, give the new listeners kind of a brief synopsis of what is the general grievances segment and kind of, uh, what our intention is and, and, and why we have, uh, topics like this and try to answer this question. Well, general grievances is exactly what it sounds like. Um, and you're right. It sounds like General Grievous. It's, this is a Star Wars podcast. If you've not been <laughs> listening so far, if you didn't catch that, um, no, but really it is exactly what it sounds like. These are the, uh, in general complaints, um, mm -hmm. of the larger Star Wars community. Um, these are kind of the issues that, that people are still talking about on Twitter. Um, and you know, there's, there's, like you said, there's friction. Um, mm -hmm. Our goal here is not to definitively say, you know, hey, we're we're putting our stamp on one thing over the other because that other thing is dumb. This mm -hmm. is to kind of heal the 
outlook of some of these things that are causing friction because, yeah. and it's funny that this makes me think of it, but I had a lot of conversations on my Morbius TikTok about this uh, <laughs> with people in the comments saying, yeah. hey man, like what you like. Um, but just like you're allowed to like what you like, let other people like what they like. Um, yeah. don't be a jerk about it. Um, we're here exactly. to say there is, you know, we understand both, but we want to remedy, um, the opinions of people that say this is, you know, hurtful to me as a Star Wars fan. This is, uh, you know, aggressive mm-hmm. to me as a Star Wars fan because it's dumb and wrong. Yeah. Um, you might still not like it at the end of this segment and that's okay. But we just want to take this time to say there might be some more good in it than you think, whether or not we're going to convince you that's not our job, but our job is to present, uh, the overall picture and say, here's what you might be missing. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, uh, I, I like that this segment is an opportunity to celebrate star Wars and to be positive about star Wars because oftentimes in the fandom, uh, it's the opposite of that. There's kind of that joke that nobody, uh, hates star Wars as much as star Wars fans. And if we can contribute to the opposite of that, to where we're like, you know what, actually I really like this kind of hot button issue. And we had talked in the past about bringing live action characters into, uh, bringing animated characters into live action and kind of the growing pains of that. And we can also go back and we'll probably talk about some, you know, uh, some lines that, uh, you know, came out 20 years ago or some performances or something like that, that don't uh, still don't drive well with fans. But, you know, this is something that is kind of uh, hot on fans minds. So uh, very excited to dive on into this and kind of talk about why we maybe think that Darth Vader is a a perfect fit for this series and why we really do think that he belongs. Um, So to kind of uh, kickstart off our conversation here, in that uh, article that we had previously discussed, uh, the uh, Total Film article, uh, Deborah Chow was kind of asked why um, Vader is in this series. So I'm going to go ahead and read this quote, and then we can kind of go through. And I kind of wanted to use this answer as sort of a roadmap for our conversations. Uh, so she says, for anybody trying to tell a story in the middle of these two trilogies, there were only certain elements that made sense in where Obi-Wan is. With a lot of the legacy aspects, the decision to bring Vader into it was not made lightly. We're 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. Where is Obi-Wan's starting place? What has been important to him in his life? Anakin and Vader are a huge and very profound part of his life. We've ended up telling that uh, feeling that he made sense in telling this story. And Vader casts such a dark shadow in this that to have Maul as well, it might be a little bit much. Uh, Deborah Chow was also interviewed by uh, Entertainment Weekly, which I think we'll uh, kind of incorporate into our conversation that we have. Um, so I do want to kind of go through this quote and just kind of go a little bit step by step here. Um, Deborah Chow says, uh, you know, again, we're 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. Where is Obi-Wan's starting place? So I think that this is kind of a perfect starting place for our conversation as well. Noah, where do you think that Obi-Wan will be starting from in this series on episode one? Well, it was something that I thought about when we were discussing, you know, are we going to talk about this on the podcast? Um, you know, how, how do we want to structure this? What are the mm-hmm. things we need to think of when talking about this? This was one of the first things I thought of is um, this is in the, you know, pretty much the midway point of what we have seen just face value as the transition from Ewan McGregor to Alec Guinness, right? Um, And I'm not saying that this has to be a 50-50 mix of both because I think that's probably quite the opposite. Um, And where I'm getting hung up in terms of where I think he might be is kind of 
answering your question with a question, but not really a question, just kind of an open statement Mm -hmm. is, is there, you know, a, is there a turning point where Obi-Wan loses the, uh, Ewan McGregor side of him and becomes more the Alec Guinness side of him. Mm -hmm. I like to think that after revenge of the Sith, um, Obi-Wan doesn't immediately turn into Alec Guinness, who is maybe a little bit more cranky, a little bit more jaded, a little bit more hopeless. Um, that's not nece- I mean, I wouldn't be upset, but that's not necessarily where I want to see, you know, right at episode one. Granted, mm-hmm. this is 10 years after the events, but, and I know that the trailer even, you know, suggests that Obi-Wan believes that all hope is gone. But I like to imagine that we are seeing this transition, this turning point. Um, And that obviously starts with a kind of Obi-Wan that um, still has faith in the people who are out there, the survivors of Order 66, the people who, you know, need to be protected from the Empire, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Luke included. I like to think that maybe he still has that hope and that we have yet to see that turning point. That's where I am imagining we're going to get a little bit more Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan than Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan. That's kind of my thoughts. What do you think? So just clarify, do you think that, you know, episode one, that he is going to have this hope and transition into losing that, or he's going to maybe be a little bit kind of hopeless and then transition into having more hope? I think that he'll, I think that he'll have some hope left. I think that he will in the sense that he still has purpose, whether, you know, even if the hope is, you know, diminished, if it's smaller, yeah. he still has a purpose and he's fulfilling that purpose. And the course of the show, as we'll see, is him fulfilling his purpose to its, ex- like to its necessary extent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm and not to say that something will happen over the course of the show that will completely crush his hope and whatever. Yeah. Um, and maybe it is his meeting with Darth Vader that says, okay, no, maybe there's not as much hope as I once thought maybe things are darker than they once were. Um, again, I have some other thoughts on that, but, um, I like to think that we'll see a more, um, or a a less jaded Obi-Wan at the beginning of this show, um, who might just be, you know, out there protecting people and kind of being this, uh, vigilante in the shadows, not necessarily, but kind of, you know, protecting from, from the outside sort of deal. I'm kind of in a different space to where I think this show, you know, like Deborah Chow had said, is 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. So I'm trying to think in those 10 years, what has Kenobi really been up to? And I think in this time, he is going to be fulfilling his mandate and his promise to to Yoda um, that he will look after these kids and protect them or to this child, Luke, uh, protecting him. But I still think he's at the point now to where he's still kind of lost to where he's doing it. But I don't know if at this point he's doing it much more out of just pure obligation. And I say that because it also makes me think about young Obi-Wan and the prior kind of mandate that he was given in regards to protecting another child, which was Anakin. And I think he's going to be at a point at the beginning of the show to where he's like, I'm at square one again. Like I was... I, I promised, uh, you know, uh, a, a superior to mine, you know, pre, uh, previously being Qui-Gon and now to Yoda that I will look after this child and I will protect them. And the last time that I did that didn't go so well. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that he is, 
uh, still going to be grieving that loss of Anakin and that it's not going to be fully extinguished, uh, but that sense of hope in that yeah. this person that I promised my master that I would look after, look what happened to them and I lost them. And I don't know if at the beginning of the show, I expect that at some point in the show, we are going to see him recognize that Vader and this, this force out in the galaxy is Anakin. Cause I don't think that he's going to initially know that. Um, I think he will eventually learn this fact and I'm, I'm curious to see how he's going to respond to this, but I still think that he's going to be mourning the loss of this and still be a little bit skeptical or not entirely jaded, but just a little bit like, you know, in the trailer, we we uh, hear him say, like, we lost, the war's over, you know, like, I think he's going to be at this point of just kind of like, what is the point? And yeah, I'm looking after this kid, but, you know, the last time that I looked after the supposed chosen one, you know, it, it didn't really, didn't really go so well. Um, and that kind of brings me to the, the, the next part of this quote that uh, Deborah Chow has said here. It says, what has been important to him in his life? Anakin and Vader are a huge and very profound part of his life. Uh, we ended up feeling that uh, he made sense in telling the story. Uh, and so, yeah, I still think that Obi-Wan is going to be feeling a lot of guilt because of what happened to Anakin and his promise to, to uh, Qui-Gon there. Is there any kind of inclination about uh, Obi-Wan and his journey throughout the prequels that thinks, cause you had kind of talked about how it's kind of a halfway point, but you know, not exactly halfway. It's, it's closer to Alec Guinness than it is right. to Ewan McGregor, which is kind of funny. Cause you know, that's how time works. <laughs> um, but, uh, is there, yeah, is there any kind of, you know, considering Obi-Wan's journey throughout the prequels and his, in his re, uh, kind of journey with Anakin and, you know, where he kind of started off and describing him as this, you know, useless life form to where he, be, you know, is, is considers him, his brother is there any kind of uh hints or inclination that you have based on what he experienced in the prequels and then what we see him um uh, kind of eventually end up with alec guinness and even a little bit before that with uh, star wars rebels well you made me think of something that now i'm like okay i i i almost am like retroactively taking not taking back what i said because that's not that's not good journalism. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a journalism major, but I know one thing. That's not good journalism. I'm sticking to it. I'll die on that hill. Um, but it made me think of something. Uh, when you when you were talking about um, like his looking after the supposed chosen one mm -hmm. and his conversation with Maul. Um, yeah. At their, their last meeting when Maul asks him, is he the chosen one? And Obi-Wan yeah. says with the purest confidence he is mm -hmm. um that's like you know you're totally right is that this is square one but you know oh gosh it, my head is like now that now that i've thought of that and you've asked that question mm -hmm. my head is like banging around with all these different like pieces where it's like and that also reminds me of luke in the last jedi saying i've seen this power once before uh yeah. and you know i wasn't you know blah 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 whatever yeah um and or it, it doesn't it didn't scare me enough then it does now like yeah that attitude of you failed what are you going to do about it when you're presented yeah. with the same exact thing yeah and what you know what has changed? How does, how is Vader now, not Anakin, but how is Vader mm -hmm. now influencing that? Yeah. Is, yeah, yeah I well, can't even, 
I got I, I got to like think I got to process for a second. Well, while you're processing that, because I had kind of thought about uh, the mall of it all, which uh, is towards the end of this quote, which we will address, because I, I do think that, that plays a very important part of this and why I actively don't think that mall is a good fit for the show, yeah. as opposed to just being like, yeah. no, I could see both. I'm like vehemently no to Darth Maul being in the show. <laughs> um, and Vader makes a hundred percent more uh, sense to me. But uh, something that I kind of thought of um, right away was um, the fact that consistently throughout, not just the fight in Revenge of the Sith, but after Kenobi discovers the truth about Anakin and his his fall to the dark side, the first reaction that Kenobi has is being this talking to Yoda, and he's like, I can't go through with this. Like, I can't go fight this guy. Like, I'm not going to be able to kill him and kind of fulfill this this mandate that you've given to me. Like, it's, that's my book. That's my buddy. You know, that's yeah. my brother. And um, kind of that that weird dynamic that they have versus the dynamic that Anakin and Qui-Gon had where Qui-Gon is much more of a father figure where Kenobi is kind of more of a brother and maybe Anakin needed a father figure and then that kind of conversation there. But then I also go to the fight on Mustafar where what is, you know, we don't get a ton of dialogue between Kenobi and Anakin in the middle of the fight. It's mostly on either end of it. Um, yeah, there is some, you know, in, in between there, but uh, it makes me think of, you know, uh, Obi-Wan talking to Anakin and he says, I will do what I must. And then at the end of the fight, he says, like, don't try it, to, which to me communicates that Obi-Wan is like, I don't want to do this. Like uh, Obi-Wan says, you know, when he says, I will do what I must, he's like trying to give Anakin an out. And he's like, I'm not going to strike you down, like, unless you kind of force my hand here. Like the four, Obi-Wan has always kind of been the, the, the golden Jedi, you know, the, yeah. the golden child, so to speak. And I really love that in this fight, he does embody that the, the, the forces for knowledge and defense, never for attack. So he really does kind of give Anakin the, the ball is in his court, so to speak. It's like, if you tip my hand here, there's only so much that I can do before I have to fulfill my mandate as a Jedi. But even at that point, when we see at the end of the fight, Obi-Wan is on the hill. He has the high ground and yeah, you can meme it as, as whatever. But I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of Kenobi truth there to where he says like, don't try it. Like, please don't like, I'm going to have to do what I have to do. And Anakin jumps and he takes out his legs and his arm and he's left there. And Obi-Wan just starts breaking down. And well, that's where we get yeah. a lot of that, that truth in that, in that reaction there. There's part of that. I think I was, I was listening to something recently on like a, like a video podcast or podcast or something about mm -hmm. kind of the explaining where we're at with these characters leading up to this mm -hmm. show and in the Revenge of the Sith novelization talking yeah. about how like Obi-Wan's, his goal was not to slice and dice his, yeah. you know, his, his brother, his bro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, that was just not, not that it was a mistake, you're yeah. playing with laser swords, you know, it's, <laughs> it's all fun and games until someone loses two yeah. legs and he their was, last <laughs> remaining human arm. He wasn't like, oh, oh, oh that looks really, oh my God. <laughs> no, he wasn't. That looks that so bad. It's <laughs> just how it happened was he didn't mean to, you know, he didn't, I, I guess he didn't mean to like completely annihilate Anakin. I, I think he means to, but I, I think it's it's always been like a, 
I hate this spot that you've put me in. Like we right. could have figured this out. And I think that that comes out in the dialogue to where he says like, you know, it's that, it's that classic line that you were the chosen one. Uh, it was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them, bring balance to the force, not leave not in darkness. darkness, baby. So I think that in this moment, Kenobi is really revealing that this was true to him. And he, he went from this point of, this useless life form that we picked up on this desert planet. Like what, what is, what is Qui-Gon doing? Like he's, he's been conflicting with the Jedi council and he's just like, what's going on here? And him and Qui-Gon do have that conversation kind of on the catwalk there of like Obi-Wan and, and talking about the conflict with, with the council and like Obi-Wan's confused. He doesn't really know what the plan is here with this child. And that eventually culminates, culminates into Kenobi crying and being upset that he was like, I believed in you. I believed in what Qui-Gon believed in. And I, I got to that point to where I not only thought you to be the chosen one, but I thought you to be my friend and my brother. Yeah. And now look at you. Um, and we, you know, uh, Kenobi kind of had to do what he did, which he even says, he's like, I will do what I must. Like I, you're, you're kind of <laughs> taking away my options here. Um, and I think in, in Kenobi and him kind of taking him out in this moment and leaving him, a lot of fans talk about where like you left him to burn alive like why don't you just kill him and i think it's yeah you can have that debate of should have uh, obi-wan kind of put him out of his misery in a bit I, i'm totally willing to have that discussion but i think more importantly kenobi can't bring himself to finally kind of pull that trigger so to speak uh, yeah exactly it's, that's, it's his that's brother. how i would see it yeah yeah, so even though it's it's arguably more inhumane to just kind of leave them there <laughs> um, to burn alive, uh, I think that that's you know uh, that's kind of where he's where he's going at as far as the end of Revenge of the Sith. He's like I. I got to this point where I believed in this kid. I believed in what my master believed in and look what it got me. And I think that he's kind of carrying a lot of that same energy into how he perceives Luke and is like, okay, well, Yoda says this guy is, is kind of the next big thing. I just saw that. So I, I think it makes sense that he's maybe not filled with a ton of confidence right now and that he's on this mandate being like, I've been on this desert for 10 years and I'm just kind of waiting, you know, for this kid who still at this point is a kid, you know? And to what it makes me really think of is, uh, is like you had said that, that mall fight, you know, uh, that yeah. mall, uh, that mall conflict that we eventually see, um, uh, where, uh, Deborah Chow even acknowledges this. And she says, Vader cast such a dark shadow in this series that to have mall as well, it might be a little bit much. So I think in this 10 year journey, he's still feeling a lot of guilt as a result of Anakin. And he's really, when, once he, I think once he finds out that Vader is Anakin, that's going to open up a lot of old wounds that he's maybe trying to sew shut and that he says, okay, I, I didn't fulfill this mission in either regards. I didn't kill him and I didn't bring him back to, to the light side. So what do I do? You know, I still have this mission to protect this child, but maybe in the meantime, I could try to save Anakin. And I love the idea. And you had talked about it, made you think of a lot of different things. It makes me think of... Uh, the relationship between Luke and Kylo and the relationship yeah. between Kylo and Ray. Yeah. And that on crate, when Luke is going up against Kylo, you know, Kylo says like, well, did you come here to save my soul? And Luke's like, Nope. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like I kind of, I love that Luke recognizes that just like Kenobi and Vader and Luke and Vader, 
this relationship is true between Luke and Kylo and Ray and Kylo and that Luke recognizes I'm not the one who is able to convince you to come to the light because you have too much hate and animosity towards me. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to be able to do this. This other person, on the other hand, might be able to. Uh, and I think it's the same thing between Obi-Wan and, and Luke is that Obi-Wan, I think, as a result of the events in this series, will understand the importance of Luke and say, I'm not the one that is able to turn Vader because um, I think, frankly, he's going to be at that point to where he says, like, he he can't be turned. He tells Luke as much. He's like, no, that guy's dead. Your your that yeah. <laughs> your dad is gone. Um, and I think he's going to understand the importance that Luke can have, and that Luke is going to be the one to maybe not save Vader, but the one that you know he can he can bring balance, and that he will be the new chosen one. And I think that that turn in that that moment in Return of the Jedi, I think, is just going to be all the more powerful and so much more of a victory. Because we understand that Kenobi at one point tried. And I don't, I think it's going to make a lot of people like to kind of criticize Kenobi in the original trilogy and say that, no, he, he's a manipulator. He lied to Luke, he gave up on Anakin. And I really love that the show might kind of show that, no, he did try. Right. And I want to see him get to the point to where he doesn't think that Anakin is, I think he's, I want to see him get to the point to where he thinks that he's gone and this new chosen one is, is Luke. And I, I think the rebels moment, like you had talked about really does speak to that. Yeah. And again, just kind of like connecting all the dots simultaneously and thinking, you know, mm-hmm. we see the importance of that kind of relationship when, when Luke dis, uh, not decides, but when, as he says, like for a split second, he thought maybe he could, you know, prevent anything yeah. like Darth Vader from happening again mm-hmm. by taking out Kylo or by taking out Ben Solo then and there. Yeah. Um, where in his past, and that's why people hate it, is, you know, his his past decisions are, you know, almost taking that step and then, you know, retracting that and, and doing the right thing, throwing his lightsaber away. Yeah. Um, and, and saying, I'm a Jedi like my father before me. Yeah. Um, it, you know, you see that and then move to him almost killing, um, his nephew, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, that's what irks people. But yeah. then when hey, you're, that's, that's almost a whole other episode. Well, that's why we'll get there. <laughs> right. But that like, it, it's not a dichotomy because they're not that different, but that like, you know, comparing that to Obi-Wan and his uh, view of Vader once we get to mm-hmm. um, A New Hope after what we will hopefully see, you know, again, fingers crossed, but after what we will hopefully see as him trying, you know, to do yeah. the right thing well, back b- b- then. Before I before you, you continue, I do want to ask, though, because I, I think that this is where a lot of fans might be a little bit confused or like just curious at minimum. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that Eventually, when Obi-Wan confronts Vader in some form of an or another, do you think he's doing it to save Anakin or do you think he's doing it to kind of, I didn't finish the job last time and I'm going to now, like as far as like he's going to kill him. Yeah, I'm I'm totally right there with you. Because and the only reason that that has to happen is because one, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make much sense. Obviously, Deborah Chow has, has said time and time again, like, we are really, really careful to be stepping around the things that have already been laid. We're not retconning anything. We're not, yeah. 
You know, uh, we're not uh, denying uh, yeah. anything. I want to talk about that quote that you're mentioning here because it was uh, just published today from Entertainment Weekly. Yeah. Um, when she had said, uh, this is a quote from Deborah Child says, I was definitely, uh, it was definitely something we were very mindful of. And for me, also taking on George Lucas's legacy, it's an honor to take these characters and be able to tell a new story with them. So I wanted to be very respectful to what uh, exists and not change anything that George intended originally or anything like that. Of course, when breaking uh, new stories uh, or bringing new stories, uh, one can't help but impact what has already come or is to come. Obviously, there's room for interpretation here and telling the story that they did have those 20 years ago. And obviously, something happened in these 20 years and that there are something, some things that our series uh, where there's going to be a little bit more room for interpretation on. And I think she's directly kind of referring to, and you had kind of addressed it uh, as well, is there are two lines in the original trilogy that I think fans in some form or another, whether pro Vader being in the series or anti Vader being in the series kind of, kind of, uh, uh, go towards. And one of those lines is when I left you, I was the learner. Uh, I was the learner, but now I am the master. Um, there's that line. And then the other one from return of the Jedi, uh, where, uh, Vader and, and, uh, Luke are on kind of that, that catwalk there in return of the Jedi, where, uh, he says, Obi-Wan once thought as you do. So I kind of want, let's, let's start with a new hope. Cause that was the line first. How do you think that that line kind of compares to what we anticipate or kind of expect to see in this series? Cause a lot of people say, uh, you can't, you can't do that. Now it doesn't make sense because of this line. So what is kind of, you know, in the spirit of this show, what is kind of your reaction to this or your kind of rationale to why this line still works despite what we think will happen in this series? I honestly am, I'm questioning how much people take for granted, um, what George Lucas did with the prequels, because I mean, realistically, if you're going to be arguing about this, let's just say hypothetically, if you're going to be mm -hmm. arguing about this you know, line in general and saying this kind of breaks it. Um, maybe you're somebody that really loves revenge of the Sith. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but in revenge of the Sith, um, I'm sure a lot of people would probably say that, um, Anakin is barely Obi-Wan's Padawan at this point because he has surpassed him. Mm -hmm. Right. So, is it not already broken? Oh, and anybody who disagrees with that, Obi-Wan literally tells him that. Yeah. <laughs> in Revenge of the Sith, he says, you, you've become a far better Jedi than I could ever hope to be. Yes. Yeah, the, the Jedi Council doesn't grant him the rank of master, but that's kind of the problem is he feels that he is ready for it, you know? Yes. So um, I don't think Anakin or Vader would consider himself to be a learner. You know so I mean? yeah, does that, does that then already break it? I know that that's kind of a roundabout way of attacking that argument, but saying mm -hmm. like, is he, you know, George Lucas had this idea of no, but back then this, this, and this, and then, you know, over the course of the next 20 years or, you know, a little bit less than 20 years developed yeah. these background stories for what we eventually see. Yeah. Um, I don't think in any way having them meet again, um, changes this because realistically, um, I mean, I would like to, in my head, separate Anakin and Vader and the mm -hmm. same way that Obi-Wan does to say, yeah. nah, man, Anakin's gone. Like yeah. Anakin's donezo. He's dead. He's not mm -hmm. like Darth Vader's not your father. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and if you're going to, if you're going to imagine having the prequels in store, kind of when you're 
watching the original trilogy, then, mm-hmm. you know, why is it then not confusing for people when they have that encounter in, you know, the famous scene 38 where Obi-Wan calls him Darth. He just calls him Darth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where there's that, that, you know, almost physical separation of person and person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of understand it as, yeah, Anakin's not the same person as Darth Vader anymore. He's completely left behind that life. And Anakin was my Padawan. Darth Vader is not anymore. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think this, this line to me has been, you talk about like how the impact of the prequels has impacted this line. I, to me, this line is so much the energy of Anakin in revenge of the Sith, where he's talking to Dooku and he says, you know, my powers have doubled since the last time we met count. I, it's the same energy. It's the exact same kind of line of just being like, well, this isn't going to go the way you think it is because the last time we were met, I was, uh, you know, this kind of scrawny little Padawan. Now I'm this, you know, big hot shit Jedi, yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, get ready for what's coming. I think it's kind of the same energy here, but to me, I uh, now, because of the events of this series or what we expect to see. I am taking this line very literally to where Anakin or Vader says, when I left you, I was the learner. Now I am the master. The whole, you know, the the whole council grant, uh, granting him the rank of master, that whole thing is, you know, I, I guess a little bit of a different discussion. To me, what I'm taking literally is when he says, when I left you. That is not to me referring to the fight on Mustafar. In fact, it's much earlier. It's you know, much me, earlier. It's when they, yeah, I'm yeah. seeing it and I'm seeing it play yeah. out right now. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. I, I'm, ex- I'm expecting this line to now be this kind of literal, not when I left you just as Obi-Wan, but when I left you and also the council. And when I left this, when I no longer became Anakin and I became Darth Vader. And I know that there's this kind of idea that Obi-Wan is wrong and saying that there is a difference between vader and between anakin yeah because luke doesn't believe that to be true um i get that but out of anakin's mouth he thinks that he is a different person that he is no longer anakin skywalker that person is gone i am now darth vader through and through uh that name no longer has any meaning to me vader literally tells luke that in return of the jedi so i love the idea that when Vader tells this to uh, tells this to um, to to Obi Wan, it's that same kind of Count Dooku energy to where oh, when I left you last time, I wasn't even a master yet. the The Council wouldn't wouldn't uh, grant me that. I'm no longer that anymore, and I'm what you see before you. Yeah. Um, to where I'm a t- completely new you know new person, and I'm 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 very excited to to kind of see that. And I, I, you know, the kind of the spirit of the show is to not say, oh, well, this line, uh, it, this is immediately contradicting it. It's like, well, one, you haven't seen the series. Let's at least see kind of how it plays <laughs> out. But I love the idea of like, okay, well, this line is there. What does it kind of mean now? What's that kind of new, that new meaning that we can derive from that and to, to make it work for us? Not to like bend it out of shape to where it's no longer recognizable. To me, this line is just like, I think I can take it a little bit more literally now to not... It's not when I last saw you, I was a learner. Now I'm the master. It's no, when I left you. So like right. left actively left, you know, that's to me is like, it's almost kind of sadder now to where it's like that, that kid that you knew is he's not there anymore. He's gone, you know, and, and Obi-Wan maybe believes that, you know, uh, because of what, what Vader is telling him. So 
I'm really excited to see that kind of play out here. I wanted to get your reaction onto the the other line uh, from Return of the Jedi, where Vader is talking to Luke and he says, "Obi-Wan's thought as you do." So this is the line that I think a lot of people tout as the log line of the show or, you know, why the show makes a lot of sense in regards to Vader being in it and why their encounter makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know if I have like a ton to add to this other than the fact that in return of the Jedi or revenge of the Sith, we don't see Obi-Wan actively try to change Anakin. It's mostly kind of like a, Hey man, don't make me do this kind of thing as opposed to actively trying to change him or to find the good in him or to try to redeem him. And I think the show can be an opportunity to see that. Yeah. That's one of the things that, again, like I've got that, I've got that, uh, you know, the dialogue on Mustafar almost memorized to a T, you know, most Um, people our age do, which I think is funny. (laughs) Yeah. And like, again, I just love hearing it over and over. Um, and when I'm watching revenge of the Sith, um, like I love to be following along kind of in my head, but the one place where my inhibitions fly out the window and I blurt it out is when Obi-Wan says, well, then you are lost. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's such an interesting line to me. Not because it means two things. One, like at that point in time, Obi-Wan kind of feels like he's beyond saving at that Mm. point in time. Um, which can change later as hopefully we'll see. But then even yeah. beyond that, it's, it's more, you know, in that context, it's not like, it's not like Anakin is saying, I'm a bad guy now and I want to do bad guy stuff. And, and there's no good left in me. Mm-hmm. And Obi-Wan says, well, then you are lost. No, their conversation specifically is about the quote unquote lies of the Jedi. Um, yeah. And it tells point. me, it tells me that, Obi-Wan has, um, and this is something that I, that I'm really looking forward to seeing whether either way it goes is Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan's perspective on the Jedi 10 years after revenge of the Sith. And how does he feel about that? And is there a separation between his loyalty to the Jedi 10 years from then versus, you know, um, how he feels about Anakin as a person and whether or not he can be saved? Is there a separation there? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think we're like, per, per the lines that we hear from the Inquisitor, I think the inherent kind of duty of a Jedi is still in Obi-Wan to where that's yeah. what's going to get him in trouble is like, yeah. I can't just sit idly by and watch this, you know, uh, Moss Espa citizen get cut down, you know, like I need to intervene. So I think that that sense is going to still be in him. But I'm yeah, I still think that mandate that Yoda has put into him and, and Qui-Gon in a sense I'm very curious to see if he thinks that that the Qui-Gon mandate is gone, you know, or if he's still at the beginning of this, like, I still made a promise to to Qui-Gon that I would look after this child and he's still alive and I'm going to fulfill that, you know, and I wanted to see him get to the point to where... Um, uh, we'll talk about this and we'll move on to something else. I, I want to see him. I think it seems, it seems like we're saying, oh, I want to see Obi-Wan lose hope and lose this sense of hope. Not what I'm saying at all. I want to see Obi-Wan direct, redirect his hope and yeah. to not say the hope for the galaxy is in saving, uh, Anakin's soul. Cause I think he is going to get to a point to where he says that's not possible anymore. So I'm redirecting my hope into this child to where maybe at the beginning of the show, he's in a cave, he's watching this kid for the past 10 years, like, you know, sitting on the top of his hut, you know, <laughs> flying yeah, an imaginary yeah. starfighter. And he's like, what am I doing? He's going to have some force calls with Qui-Gon and he's like, 
I don't know, man. I've been here on this desert for 10 years. It sucks. My back hurts. You know, <laughs> I want to see him get to a point to where he's like, I am here for a reason, which we'll get into the, uh, the rebels of it all. Cause that's hey, man. Uh, that's a whole other conversation you, in and of itself. You know what I, you know what I like to remember? What's that? The wise words of one Rose Tico. Exactly. That's how we win, not by fighting what we hate, but by saving what we love. Exactly. It is a redirection. It is. Yeah. Yeah. To uh, kind of pivot a little bit, you know, and I think, and I think that that's why Vader is such a good fit for this. And I, and I, again, I want to talk about the rebels of it all, but before we get to that point, I did want to ask you this question because I have seen a lot of people and I would say this is my kind of biggest concern with this um, is I see a lot of people and it's kind of my frustration. Um, I've, I've also I'm kind of considered like just doing a whole like video essay on this because it's just kind of my frustration, not with just Star Wars, but I think a lot of like comic book movies and kind of these big budget movies is I think a lot of fans are just cutting these movies a little short of like what's there in regards to the depth of things. And they're just actively choosing to look at the surface level stuff. And what I mean by that is people will say, oh, I love that duel on Revenge of the Sith because it's so, there's so many cool flips and spins and it's theatrical and it's grand and it's big. And I, I, as opposed to like saying what it means for these characters, you know, and I'm fearful that this new fight is not going to deliver on those expectations because I don't expect this fight to be as theatrical or to have as many flips or to be as uh, grand for a couple of reasons, which we'll get into. Is that a concern of yours as far as a fan of this hope uh, thinking that this fight won't live up to the, uh, to the promise of the previous fight, and this is, this is the, the the rematch of the century, as per Kathleen Kennedy's words, do you say, ooh, I hope this is as good as Revenge of the Sith, or are you kind of in my camp of like, oh God, fans are not going to think that this is as good as it is, uh, and and kind of the, the fallout of that. Where's your kind of head at, and maybe we can kind of talk through this, because right now I'm just a little bit, I want to give fans a little bit more credit, but right yeah. now I'm just a little bit like... I'm afraid because there's not going to be as many flips in this one. Fans are going to think it sucks. You know, <laughs> now, here's the thing is I was hoping we would talk about this a little bit because I had, this was one of my first thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, you sent me that. Um, well, I'll, I'll say this much um, is one of the first things I thought of was, is the fight itself, not like the interactions, not the, not the Obi-Wan of it, not the Vader of it. Yeah. Is the fight between them going to be more Revenge of the Sith or is it going to be more A New Hope, right? Yeah. Not, not just in a physical sense, but in that kind of, you know, the, the, the feeling of it, the tone of it. Um, and here's where I have landed with, you know, whether or not it's going to be, you know, more one or the other mm-hmm. um, is... I feel like that's not the point. Um, and the reason I say that is because you sent me that image that released uh, that, you know, is a little bit more Obi-Wan promotional art. Yeah. It was like has, a, like an ad. It was like a leak, uh, yeah, you know, not yeah. like an official, it was like, looks like it was one of those like banners that would be above right. the toy aisle at target or something like that. Right. You know? And yeah. it's got kind of this painted image of Obi-Wan fighting Vader. Yeah. And what's so interesting is like you and I had both agreed on it does have some Revenge of the Sith poster vibes. Totally. Now, there's something really interesting about it, whether or not this is intentional, I like to think that it is, is in Revenge of the Sith, in that 
famous, famous image. Mm-hmm. They are close to each other and their lightsabers are clashed. Yeah. In this image, their lightsabers are both apart, but they're mm-hmm. clearly still in battle. They're not like yeah. preparing for battle. They're both like winding back at the same time. They're both yeah. act, like in dynamic active poses. Mm-hmm. To me, that says that there is something more you know let, let's just say stylistically in terms of choreography maybe there's something more defensive and thematic and maybe yeah. something more um i guess driven behind this fight than just a bunch of flips and a bunch of spins and a bunch well, of kicks I, I wanted to talk about that directly cuz there's a few different ways i can go with this i want to go like first the practical you know, kind of avenue and then talk about the thematic stuff more. Cause I don't think the practical one is as good of a, and it's not, it's not an excuse, but for a lack of better words, excuse, practically speaking, Ewan McGregor's older. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he has gotten older since 2005 and that's something even out of the fans mouths. They love the fact that you can go into those behind the scenes uh, stories there. And it's like, oh yeah, Ewan and, and Hayden trained seven days a week, six to eight hours a day for this fight. And they did it for months. Oh, Ewan McGregor is an older guy. Now Hayden Christensen is an older guy. Now this is also a television show. <laughs> Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor also have other priorities that are not this hundred, you know, $200 million movie or whatever. Revenge of the Sith ended up being, they're, they're, they're not able to physically probably, or like as far as the practically schedule wise, dedicate as much time to doing this because that sounds really taxing to do something like this. So that's kind of the practical sense well, of that. Here's the thing, Garrett, you're dead wrong. It's muscle memory. Get prepared. <laughs> they're just going to do the same thing. They're the like, same oh my gosh, fight. it hasn't even left. It hasn't, hasn't diminished a bit. That's I'm, yeah. I've still got it. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, man. You, you. I, I guarantee you. And did a couple more flips, and as he felt a little shoulder pain that he didn't feel, you know, ten to fifteen years <laughs> ago. So that that's the practical side of that, and I can understand that that's not very convincing. Totally understand that. So let's dive into more of the thematic stuff, which I think is yeah. more important. To me, as I had addressed, Revenge of the Sith is this fight between Anakin and Obi Wan, where Obi Wan's heart necessarily isn't in it, and he's not necessarily wanting to have this deadly blow the entire fight. You know, there are a couple of moments in there, especially when Obi-Wan is over Anakin and he uses the force to grab his lightsaber and he like really comes down on him. A lot of the fight to me feels Obi-Wan just being like, you're tipping my hand in this fight and I don't want to have to do this. Even in that little uh, verbal kind of uh, spat, spat, uh, Jesus, that verbal spat that they have on the top of those droids where uh, Obi-Wan says like, I failed you, Anakin. Like he's taking ownership of that. It's not, you know, uh, throwing blame onto Anakin. He's it's also like, not actively trying to kill him every moment. Yeah. That's, know? that's what I'm saying. Maybe right. like a better way to, to say that. But, um, so, so there's that. And then in, uh, in, uh, a new hope, I think Anakin, uh, or oh, Obi-Wan is in the space to where it's mostly him trying to, I think, distract Vader, so that Luke and Leia can get away and that so he I don't think he's actively trying to kill Vader in that moment. And I think one of the talk about like how the prequels and other Star Wars material can change your impact on something. 
there's a look that Alec Guinness gives. And I think that there's a very specific reason that when uh, Obi-Wan looks at Luke and Leia and sees that they are reunited and that they're together and that they're pretty much safe, like they're away, that's when he kind of yields. Yeah, and he does like that little side eye thing where he's like checking to make sure, you yeah, know? And I think it's kind of him saying... I think this maybe I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I think Obi-Wan does win that fight in A New Hope. Um, I think he realizes that he's not a physical match for Vader, that he's older, you know, and that he's not fueled by as much hate and anger towards towards Obi-Wan as opposed to uh, Vader to, to Obi-Wan. So I think he kind of yields in a way, but as as you know, because of his connection to the light side, that's what allows him to. Well, to yeah. to win that battle spiritually. You I know? was going to say, yeah. Um, I don't think you could ever point to another time um, where, you know, <laughs> where one of your duelists says mm-hmm. word for word, you can't win Darth. And then yeah. literally is like, all right, right in the belly, just, yeah. you know, make it one good clean slice. <laughs> right. <laughs> like yeah. those two things, they don't go together. If you're talking just about the, um, I, I guess the, who actually makes the final blow um, of the fight. No, those two things don't go together. Yeah. So you have those kind of different, I guess, bookends of like the first time that they fight and the last time that they fight. I really want to see like a middle point of that to where I want to see Obi-Wan come into this fight, maybe trying to battle for Anakin's soul, having that energy of um, uh, Revenge of the Sith, where he's like, I'm not here to kill you. I, I want to try to save you because I didn't do that last time. My mission wasn't fulfilled last time. And then I kind of want it to get to a point to where he realizes towards maybe the end of the fight, like, this isn't about me anymore. I can't do this. Like you're gone. And I also probably can't defeat you physically to where, which inf- uh, kind of informs what we see in a new hope to where I don't think he goes into this fight being like, Oh man, you know, time to kick some ass. Like I think he's yeah, really yeah. trying to divert Vader's attention there. So I want to see him get to the point to where he realizes, Oh, this isn't about me anymore. I'm not that new hope. This isn't Luke. You know, Luke is going to be the one that's going to be able to best Vader. Luke just then kind of learns, oh, it's not a physical besting. It's a, it's a spiritual one. I'm going to be able to save him. But I want to see uh, Obi-Wan get to that point to where, again, his 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 hope kind of shifts as, as, as opposed to I'm the one that is the Jedi and is going to save Anakin's soul to like Luke and Kylo realizing this isn't about me anymore. This is about the new hope, so to speak. This is about the new generation that's coming before me. And they're going to be the ones that are, that are going to save the galaxy next. I think that that's very powerful and I, uh, I'm very excited to see what that happens. And then as far as like the flips and stuff like that, it's going to be less, it's going to be lessened, not just practically because of the, uh, you know, time and, 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 you know, aging and, uh, Ewan's back probably isn't as good as it used to be, you no. know? <laughs> um, but also if you want to talk in universe, Obi-Wan is older, you know, Vader is also let's, in a let's, big heavy suit. <laughs> there's that, but let's get real crunchy. Noah, let's get real, let's get real nerdy. Okay. What do we know about metachlorians? They're in your blood. Yeah, they, they are. are in your blood. There are microscopic organisms that, you know, some, uh, some have that kind of gives them a, an inherent sense to, to, uh, uh, connect to the force deeper than some others or uh, the George Lucas kind of describes it as, um, 
yeah, some people are, everybody can play basketball, but then there are some people that are born with the inherent sense to be a little bit better at basketball yeah. just because of they're, they're just born that way. You know, like Michael Jordan is and LeBron James are physically able to pick it up faster than you or I can, so to speak. Yeah. But then there are people like Muggsy Bogues who's five, two and is still a great basketball player. You know, it doesn't mean that just because you don't have those attributes, you can't be a great basketball player, quote unquote, you know what I mean? Um, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the Metachlorians. Uh, Anakin loses both of his legs and his arm. Your arms and your legs have blood in them. He has lost some Metachlorian count. That has taken a hit on him. That has taken a toll on him. I don't think Metachlorians are something that you can just like get more of, like hair, you know? Right. I think that he has lost some of his Metachlorian count and he has to really lean into his hate and to the dark side to kind of... Uh, kind of tap into the dark side a little bit more. Yoda even says that like the dark side is quicker and it's easier, you know? And I think that Vader really utilizes his pain and his anguish, his physical pain and his emotional pain to have a closer connection to the dark side. Why do you think the guy built a house in the very planet to where he lost his brother, his arms, his leg <laughs> and his wife and his children in his mind, you know, it's to fuel his hatred and to fuel his anger, to give him kind of that more, um, that, that kind of, uh, edge in battle. So I'm not expecting to see Vader in the, his tip top shape here. I think he's going to be a little shaken up and I think there's going to be also a lot of emotions coming into play here, but I am expecting, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of kick it to you after this. I'm expecting Obi-Wan to lose in this fight and to, and to kind of, uh, be that, uh, that kind of uh, inception point where he realizes this isn't about me. I'm not the the new hope for the galaxy. It's going to be this other kid. What you know? Where are you kind of thinking about that? Yeah, and I mean, from what we've heard so far is is that um, this isn't a fight that there's going to be a, a clear winner and loser. Yeah. Um, more of the sense that Obi Wan just doesn't win, right? Yeah. Um, and and this has been kind of vaguely talked about is that. Um, this fight will probably end up with Obi-Wan having to run away. Probably. Um, and because the reality is, and this is not just, you know, this is not just how I'm expecting the series to play out, but this is just how it has to play out in George's canon is Anakin or Darth Vader is unaware of Obi-Wan's hiding place. Um, yeah. Post, you know, whatever meetup they have. He doesn't know where Obi-Wan is. And yeah. further, he still doesn't realize that Luke and Leia are out there. Um, yeah. So, so that secret is not revealed to him yet. Obi-Wan mm -hmm. is able to keep that secret, which means that he has to be able to get away. Um, and obviously, both of these characters make it into, uh, you know, the next movie. So yeah. they're still kicking. They're still yeah. around. There is no way that, that Obi-Wan, you know, physically wins this fight. Yeah. Um, or even spiritually wins this fight. Right. Um, so yeah, I I'm, think, I think spiritually it's, it's not going to be like a loss for him. It's just going to kind of be like a, Oh, this didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go. Like, yeah. okay. And yeah. I think it's going to kind of be that catalyst for him to, to change positions. But I, I, you know what it makes me think of and talking about like how this is, I anticipate this being in, in, uh, in conversation with other star Wars works. What does Luke say when Ray asks him like for his help? He says, you think like what, I'm going to walk out with a laser sword and face down the the whole first order. I think Obi-Wan is going to kind of have a similar thing to where he's like the way that we win this battle is not by the older generation grabbing 
grabbing their weapon and then, you know, saying, come and get it, bad guys. It's like, no, they're there to pass on knowledge and to pass on defense and uh, which leads Obi-Wan to eventually do essentially the same kind of thing that Luke does when he faces the bad guy and is more of a distraction point for the others to get away. Talk about how The Last Jedi is not, you know, (laughs) people like to say that The Last Jedi is like anti-Star Wars. Dude, it's a new hope right there. I'm pretty you know, sure I've seen it before. Yes. Yeah. The guy, the, 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 uh, older wiser mentor shows up, uses their knowledge of the, of the force to distract the bad guy who views them as a personal failure and a spiritual failure of themselves to not save. The other person has such blind hatred to this person that they are just laser focused on killing them. Meanwhile, the new hope for the galaxy is off getting away. That's, I mean, come on, it's right there. <laughs> Wait a minute, Garrett, which movie, which, which movie are you talking about? I I'm can't just tell. saying, I'm just saying it's right there. But, uh, yeah. But do you have any other kind of points on this about like kind of the spiritual battle versus the physical battle here? Cause I, uh, I did have a, a lot to say here about the, um, you know, the, the mall of it all. No, I, I just do. I, I do think that there's, um, the context here is I think more than people care to realize at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not to say that the people that are against Vader being in this are, you know, not seeing the big picture. I'm sure that, yeah. you know, that the big picture is hard for most people to see because we don't have the full picture yet. Um, we yeah. just don't know. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, uh, sorry, I, you go ahead. No, go you're ahead. fine. I was just a little, I'm just, I want to give the Star Wars fandom more credit, but they have uh, given me reason to believe otherwise. As we've talked about, I think this show has the potential to be a real spiritual battle for Obi-Wan and a real dark uh, kind of not dark, uh, this potential to be this very hopeful, uh, this transition from kind of this dark place to this real hopeful place. And I would just hate for fans if this fight is not as theatrical as the other one, and there is that scene 38 thing to where it's this re-edit of A New Hope, which kind of leads me to believe I'm like, oh man, I've said it before, that kind of my rule of thumb is not to say that you guys are watching Star Wars wrong or incorrectly, just you and I watch it differently. And I think a lot of fans can be like, oh, that New Hope fight sucks. Like it's not as theatrical. Look at this Revenge of the Sith one. It's so much better because of A, B, and C. I agree the Revenge of the Sith fight it, duel is better. Um, but I just don't want fans to stop there and to say this duel between Obi-Wan and Vader didn't live up to my expectations. So it sucks. It's like, okay, well just don't stop there. Like dive in spiritually and thematically to what all of this means. I'm just, I, I think that the potential there is real. And I, I yeah. do anticipate the show kind of diving into that. And if this fight is not as grand or mind blowing as the other one is intentionally or not, you know, I just hope that fans aren't completely distracted or deterred by that. So yeah. And we'll we'll see the last thing, the last thing that I feel like should be said about kind of the thematic importance is the spiritual importance of this upcoming battle. Um, because like you said, um, kind of those, those two bookended battles between, uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan have a, you know, specific purpose. Um, Mm -hmm. and this, I feel, you know, not, not to extrapolate things and, and make assumptions, but there's a reason, especially in the trailer, um, that we hear the musical cues that we do. Not only Mm -hmm. do we hear Anakin's dark deeds, um, but also the duel of the fates. And the question remains like, okay, 
whose fate is being dueled, you know, dueled for yeah. here. Is and it Luke's? Is it Anakin's? Is it, is it Luke's or is it Anakin's? I think that realistically yeah. in this context, I don't see a reason why it couldn't be Anakin's Both. fate still. Right. Yeah. yeah um, totally. With, yeah. With the other supporting themes, this is you know something that is being led up to that has mm-hmm. a culmination that we have yet to see, and it's going to result yeah. in what we have seen already. That you know this makes complete sense that it isn't going to go the way that Obi Wan thinks. Um, yeah. You know, and, again, and to Deborah Chow is the last Jedi. Exactly. And and Deborah Chow has been very open about this series being incredibly impacted by the prequels. So I think that the show is not just going to have reverence for what came before in regards to uh, A New Hope, but definitely the prequels. And I, I think a lot of fans can expect to see that. I did want to talk about uh, another part of this quote where, you know, Deborah Chow said, you know, like in regards to the mall of it all saying that she's like, oh, no, Dave told that story really well. Like that's that wasn't yeah. on her mind at yeah. all. So I, I want to talk about um the thematic importance of that, but I want to start off by saying that, you know, this, this Kenobi movie had been in the, this Kenobi, you know, uh, story, which was, uh, formerly a movie, which we kind of don't know for sure, but it's like, yeah, it it was, you know, and then eventually to what became with this series. And there was even, we had talked about in regards to the writing credits of this, there were a couple of writers on this, um, that are credited for this, um, that the rumor on the street is, is that they didn't have a lot to do with this series here, but they did have a lot to do with kind of the, um, the, the movie that once was, and the reason that their credit is because of writing guild WGA kind of things that if they use certain ideas, then, you know, they can get in trouble. So I think it's safe to say that this was eventually going to be a movie. All that to say when this movie was being kicked around and there were some ideas, it's not that crazy to think that it was happening in, in conjunction with rebels and, and that show coming out and the, this, the context could have been different with mall back then. Um, so I, I think that it's, uh, fair to assume that, yeah, when this movie was being discussed 10 years ago, almost, you know what I mean? Like, um, things could be, things could have uh, been a little bit different as far as like, the where certain characters were at rebels maybe haven't happened yet or was maybe happening in conjunction with this or at the same time so yeah mall maybe could have been discussed as far as the kenobi movie but deborah chow was like oh no he was never on the board for this series do you take her at her word for that or where's your kind of reaction to that no i absolutely do and i think that realistically um if we're, if we're looking at the themes here and why this series even exists in the first place is not to satiate fans and say, you've been wanting this for a long time. It really is to tell the story that has been needing to be told. And um, yeah. w- one of the parts of that is that Maul, realistically, his conflict with Obi-Wan is so singular. But mm-hmm. we're looking now at the interim period between the fall of the Republic and the rise of the new Republic, um, and the empire in between. And what does, you know, their mall has so little consequence derived from the empire, right? Um, that, that conflict is nowhere near the wider scope of what has led Obi-Wan to be at the place that he is now. And I'll say this much is nothing else has had as much of an impact on his, on those consequences as Vader has. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think you're exactly right to go to that point. And, uh, when, when I'd said that, like 
Maul 100% does not make sense for me here because I think if you're asking, you know, Deborah Chow starts this interview off with saying like, okay, 10 years from Revenge of the Sith, where is Obi-Wan at? Where does he begin? I don't think episode one, he's like, oh man, Maul. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's coming for me. Ah, Yeah, exactly. Like he really, he took a lot of things from Obi-Wan, but that's kind of the point is that Obi-Wan never faltered or Obi-Wan, no matter what Maul threw at him, he, it didn't break him that he was still able to be that Jedi and to be that kind of that golden child. And the, you know, the, the, uh, example of what a Jedi can be. Yeah. He's not perfect. He's not infallible. He does make some mistakes, but you know, Obi-Wan is also human at the end of the day too, which I think makes his character really, uh, interesting. And I love the idea that, and we're going to talk about it. So we don't have to dive too much into that conversation. Cause that's something that we do have planned for, uh, Obi month. Kenobi is to dive into the scene here line by line. But Woo-hoo. I wanted to point out a few lines of this where Maul says, look what has become of you, a rat in the desert. Kenobi says, but look what I have risen above. Maul says, I've come to kill you, but perhaps it's worse to leave you here festering in your squalor. Kenobi says, if you define yourself by the power to take life, a desire to dominate, to possess, then you have nothing. I kind of love the idea that Kenobi is here. His mind is in a totally different place to where he's worried about the protection of Luke. And like, as we've talked about, his perception of what is going to be the the vehicle for hope in the galaxy is it me obi-wan kenobi in the old ways no it's this new kid who's going to come and save everything i love that he's worried about all of this and here comes out of nowhere maul who's bringing up stuff that happened in high school you know <laughs> yeah he's, he's he's like an ex that's like look at you look at you where are you at now and kenobi is like what? Bro, I've not yeah, thought like, about you for years. <laughs> exactly. I love that. And it's and it kind of, I've said that Maul is my favorite character in Star Wars. And I think a big reason for that is because of this weird fixation that he has on things and this just sheer pettiness of it all. And that he's still angry of the Empire and he's still angry about the Jedi that they didn't come get him when he was a kid. And he's still angry at Kenobi. Like I said, back in high school, Obi-Wan wasn't even at a, at a you know, out of the Academy yet. Like he's, yeah. that was his trial right there. Like that's his graduation day of high school, essentially. <laughs> and Maul is still worried about that. You know, I yeah, love that he pop, comes, pull the poppers, drop the confetti. Exactly. That's your graduation. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very good, very good. But I love that Maul comes here, and what does he do? He does. He goes back to that same move back then, and and Kenobi knows that, and he's able to capitalize on that. Like I said, we're going to talk about that moment. But to me, makes no sense why Maul would be in this series. Again, if we're talking about a movie that was in production 10 years ago and Rebels hadn't come out yet, yeah, sure, we could talk about that. I think that that would be a cool thing to see is to see this journey of Maul coming to maybe get Luke and, you know, to see that battle kind of come to fruition here. Uh, But now that that story has been told, it does not make sense to have like a middle part there. You know, I I love the the conclusion that we see of Maul and that, that sense of like, dude, I haven't seen you in so long and I am not worried about this. And it's honestly kind of sad and tragic that you're still obsessing over this thing. Yeah. I love that. No, yeah. Maul's too busy uh, running a, a crime syndicate to uh, to worry about <laughs> nonsense like this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I uh, can understand why fans want to see this moment brought into live action, but I'm also, there's a little bit of me, even though I'm like thematically, character-wise, doesn't make a lot of sense. There's also a little bit of me that's like, 
it was also really great on Rebels, and there's a lot of you that don't think that that show is any good, and I'm kind of glad that you don't get to see this moment until you have <laughs> to like swallow this pill that apparently is so difficult for you to swallow and dive into Star Wars Rebels, which is my favorite Star Wars TV show. I'm loving yeah, that it's like so many people are like, oh, I wouldn't yeah. dare. No, I'm loving that. It's like, okay, well, if you want to see that moment and you want to get it all and understand it, you got to go watch that show. Like, I love that. I love that. Um, that's yeah. just kind of my, the petty sense of myself. But um, yeah, I think that there's a real potential here for this spiritual journey that Obi-Wan can go on here and that um, I'm just hoping that fans and I include myself in that too. Um, I want to throw that in there too, that um, I think fans have a certain expectation of what you know, this series will bring in regards to, oh, it's going to be as cool and badass as Revenge of the Sith. I, I will say it is going to be as cool. There might be a different definition of what you, you know, believe right. to be cool. I don't think Obi-Wan is going to be doing flips and, you know, I think it's going to be a great fight because that's part of Star Wars is lightsaber battles. And I think they know how much uh, fans are looking forward to this. I will also say I did some some digging and the stunt coordinator uh, who is working on this show has also worked on all four John Wick movies as well as Deadpool. Um, uh, you know, maybe you can uh, fill some time here, but I was also, you know, I was looking into that cause that's, I'm like, who is the stunt coordinator on this show? So I think that that, um, that's going to be something that's fulfilled in this because people, you know, Star Wars has, has, you know, been about the pew pew pews. And I think that they, they know this. So I think that this stunt coordinator who I'm looking up right now, is are you going talking to be, about uh, Chad Stahelski? No, not the director, not the director. You, yeah, you go ahead and, uh, yeah, well, like uh, talking about the fan expectations. And I did want well, to say too, that if we're wrong about this and this isn't what the show is about at all. I'll be accepting of that and see, you know, kind of see where things go. And I'm, I'm, I'm open to, to new things. So I kind of want to be fair and say, I, I, yeah, I want fans to be accepting of this, but I'm also saying I, I want us to be accepting of this too. Well, and there's also a level of, you know, I don't want part of its expectation, but you know, with the tiny, tiny, tiny little morsel of tease that we got, um, around Disney plus day with, um, what we see of Obi-Wan, we know that there that there are some you know stunt you know stuff at least with with Ewan McGregor he was training, um, he was doing some lightsaber training. And oh yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that he's just been like sitting in his flat no, for the past two years let, just like eating I, I Pringles. Do, you know, I do think can we you know as fans can we maybe hope for some more maybe poignant. Uh, fight stuff in terms of choreography maybe can we hope for some more yeah. poignant fight stuff between maybe let's say obi-wan and i don't know the main villain moses ingram of the of, of the show um maybe even mm -hmm. the grand inquisitor um does this have to be a rehash of revenge of the sith be you know when we have this other story that is clearly going to take precedent um yeah you know maybe that would be my worry is that people are thinking like maybe we don't get enough vader maybe the fight's too short whatever then it comes down to a matter of well you're kind of missing the big picture you're not looking at everything the way that it's wanting to be told yeah you know? yeah i want to be clear about that too it's not like i'm watching this show and i'm like hoping that the fights are quote-unquote lame or whatever people right. are mid or whatever word people want to throw around nowadays like 
I love a good lightsaber fight as much as the next guy. My one of my favorites is in the Phantom Menace, like that Obi Wan Maul and Phantom Menace. But also my favorite lightsaber battle in Star Wars is Star Wars Rebels, like the twin sons yeah. fight, and yeah. that's like the most minimalist Star Wars fight. And, it, and it, I love it so much because of what it means to the characters. But I also love flips and shit and doing cool stuff. Like yeah, I think, of course. I just don't want fans to stop there and just be like, ah, oh, the Revenge of the Sith fight was better, so this one sucks. It's like, well, no dive in a little bit more. So I have the, uh, the, the person who is working as the stunt coordinator for all six episodes of the show. His name is Jonathan, uh, Eusebio. Um, I, pr- I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that well. It's E U S E B I O. Uh, and he was the, uh, stunt coordinator on black Panther two, um, as well as John wick, uh, chapter one through three, um, and uh, has also worked on a ton of other stuff, including the Wolverine, uh, the Born Legacy, the Avengers, um, some of the Expendables movies. Uh, he has, you know, been in the in the in this for a long time, and he was also the assistant fight coordinator on the Born Ultimatum, as well as uh, working stunts for Three Hundred. Um, so this guy has been in this for a long time, uh, and so. Just saying, the likelihood of us getting some cool lightsaber stuff is pretty high uh, and cool, not just as far as like, you know, kind of the, that's pretty cool, but also cool thematically, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, let's hope for that most of all. Yeah, I've just, uh, I hope that there's both, so I don't have to see people complaining about it. But um, <laughs> I think uh, because of Jonathan here, we are going to be in uh, good hands here. So, good hands uh, indeed, yeah. Exactly. Is there anything uh, else that you uh, can think of that you want to talk about uh, about this or any kind of uh, final thoughts that you have here about Vader's inclusion in uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi? Um, I think my last my my final thought is um, I hope that it's different enough of an encounter um, Mm -hmm. that doesn't feel like it has to be exactly the same as Revenge of the Sith, where, you know, some of the art that we've seen almost looks like they're fighting on Mustafar again. Um, I hope that that's not the case, uh, be, you know, only because that means things for the story. Um, but it also means that maybe we're looking for a one-to-one comparison, but if we could stray from that, then that would be awesome. Um, and get something, you know, more updated and and more, I don't know, new, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really hoping, uh, on a nice mix of, so I, some some great Star Wars fights or legendary Star Wars fights. Uh, you know, again, you have Phantom Menace, Obi Wan, and Maul. But I just rewatched Empire Strikes Back. I, I've seen the movie a billion times, but I was really focusing on the emotion between Luke and Vader here, beyond just being like it looks gorgeous. But I think that that fight conveys so much character in that, and there's movements or things that you know Vader does especially. Because I'm wondering, like Vader, kind of, I'm like. Is there ever a point in this where Vader kind of loses control or loses like his cool a little bit? And I think that there's so much in this to where he kind of in that fight kind of tests Luke. He's like, okay, I'm going to go a little bit harder. Let's see how he he's just dominating, but he's playing with him. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's, uh, you know, kind of a a point to where, uh, they're on the catwalk and he says, you are beaten. You know, like I, I love that. He kind of just, he just goes a little bit hard. Like he's never at a hundred percent. He's kind of just like, all right, I'm at 30 and let's go to 45 and see how he reacts. So, so I really, I, I think that that's a great example of a fight that is satisfying to see as a cool fight and the cool in the sense of like, 
you know, lightsabers are cool, but I think it's also very emotionally gratifying and, 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 and complex. So I'm hoping that there's a nice mix between something like, um, the Phantom Menace fight, which is flashy and fast. And, you know, it's mostly stuff like that. And then something that's very character driven. So I want there to be the spectacle and I want there to be the character stuff, which I think generally it's kind of all my ask uh, is for Star Wars. Give me the spectacle, but also give me the depth uh, too. And I'm uh, very hopeful that we'll be able to see this with Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Well, you're not you're not asking too much there. I have a lot of faith in in everyone that's involved, as do you, I'm sure. Yes. I, and, you know, I got to say having this conversation and, and, uh, what we're gonna, you know, we got some new images and stuff today. Like we had discussed, I'm just like, Obi month Kenobi. It's uh, coming up, man. <laughs> man, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. We are exactly, uh, uh, when this episode will be published one month away from Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, uh, the next month we are going to be diving on into, uh, some of our favorite different corners of Obi-Wan Kenobi, some of our favorite lines and moments and, uh, scenes. And yeah, we've got a lot of fun stuff planned as well as, uh, we are going to be doing a retroactive review of Attack of the Clones. No, this is the first movie that we have reviewed on the podcast. And, you know, depending on what the new uh, the news is for that episode, I think we could spend 90 minutes talking about Attack of the Clones. I really I think that we so, could. I could spend so much time talking about Attack of the Clones. You don't even know. So I'm very know. excited for this upcoming month. Uh, Obi Month Kenobi is upon us, and uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, wrap it up and take us home, buddy? For sure. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. We hope you learned something today. If there's any topics or bits of news you think we should cover, you can head on over to our Twitter and shoot us a message at Scum Villain Pod. But for now, this has been Scum and Villainy with Noah to George and Garrett McDowell. And may the force be with you. We'll see you next time. See you guys.